You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Amen, amen. I'm excited, man, for, for one reason, one reason only today. Well, there's multiple reasons, but this is the main one. That Jesus is the Savior of the world. Amen. Like, that's why we are here. We are here to worship and celebrate Jesus, man. And, and this is what I know. And I hope that you guys know this, not just on an intellectual level, but on a heart level, is that He valued us enough. God valued us enough to send Jesus on a rescue mission for us. For, for dirty, nasty, crazy, sinful people like us. And if you're sitting there thinking, man, that ain't me, then you're wrong. I just want to tell you that up front, that you are that, but so am I. And God knew that, and He said, hey, I love you anyway, and I'm going to send Jesus on a rescue mission for you. And that's why the battle doesn't belong to us, because we can't do anything. The battle belongs to Him. That's the better word that's spoken over our life. It's not that we have to work our way to heaven. No, God said, you can't work your way here. I'm going to come to you. And He did that for us. Praise God for that. We're going to continue on in our Song of Solomon series this morning. This is week three. And week one, we talked about what it looked like in the context of relationship to be a godly man and a godly woman. And then last week, we jumped away from the, the positive stuff, really, you could say, and we went to sexual immorality and how that really plays itself out. And it drives intimacy out of relationships. And although love is very important, I believe that intimacy is what keeps relationships together. And it's, it's kind of been PG-13 up to this point. Today's going to be a little PG-13. Next week is going to be very PG-13. I'm just letting you know that. We're finally at the honeymoon next week. Praise God for that. But this week we're going to talk about the actual wedding. They are about to get married here in chapter 3. So we'll be in Song of Solomon chapter 3, if you want to turn there, starting in verse 6. But up to this point, we've seen these, these two people, this man and this woman, they, they meet, they begin to learn more and more about each other. He begins to pursue her, she begins to invite his pursuit, and then they begin to grow in their love with one another. How many of you have heard the phrase, fall in love? Raise your hand. Let's just, okay. I don't like that phrase because I don't think that's what you do, right? You don't just fall in love with someone. You grow in love with someone. And as you pursue them, you begin to see how that love grows and grows and grows. And we see that in Song of Solomon chapter 3, starting in verse 6. This is what it says. What is that coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke? perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the fragrant powders of a merchant. So this is what's happening. Here comes Solomon, looking just as amazing as he is. And she says, coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke. Now, I want you to know something about this, because this is very important. She, she knows that when Moses was leading people in the wilderness, they were following God by a cloud of smoke. So what she is saying here is this, this isn't just some transaction that's going on. 
This is a divine appointment. So point number one, if you're taking notes, is this. Marriage is a divine appointment, not just a legal transaction. I don't know how many times you've heard this. I've heard this as a pastor. Do we really need to legally get married because we're kind of already married in our hearts? And again, I want to tell you that there's no such thing as just being married in your heart, right? That's That's a terrible question to ask. And this is why. Because it's not just a legal transaction that's going on. This is a divine appointment from God where He's bringing a man and a woman together for the covenant of marriage. But, and we're going to see this in a little bit, but what we tend to do is we tend to view this as some transactional type relationship, man. And that's when we begin to miss the whole concept of marriage. When we begin to look at marriage as some transactional thing. So should you legally get married? I want to answer that question because in premarital counseling, it's one of the first things that I go over that the the state says you need to be married, right? There's a marriage license. And what we should do is we should go all in. So the real question isn't, do we have to? The real question should be, can I give everything to this person? And if we don't want to give everything to them, then we're not ready to be a husband or a wife. So if we're trying to get around something, and sometimes that's the case, right? We're trying to get around something with the tax system or this legal thing here, this legal thing there. And here's what I know, that God didn't cut any corners for us. That He sent Jesus to the cross and He paid it all for us. So if we really want to be in this relationship that we call marriage, then it's an all-in type relationship. There's no cutting corners. There's no transactional Thing. It is, I am giving you all of me. And it's a divine appointment from God. And then it talks about how good he smells. So guys, smell good. It's important. Verse 7. Behold, it is the litter of Solomon. Around it are 60 mighty men, some of the mighty men of Israel. All of them wearing swords and expert in war. Each with his sword at his thigh against terror by night. Here's the deal. I don't know how many guys you had in your wedding party. This dude's got 60 guys in his wedding party. So just think about that for a minute. Some of you had no one. Some of you had like a dog that just came down. Some of you had a few guys. This joker's got 60 men, and they're all with swords out. So think about your wedding, and think about all the guys in this wedding party with their ARs, and they're sawed off shotguns or whatever, and they're ready for this wedding. You say, well, man, why does he have all these men? And the answer is in the the end of verse 8, it says, against terror by night. Here's the deal. He had 60 people fighting for his marriage. Point number two, if you're taking notes, you need people fighting for Because I promise you, there is someone fighting against your marriage. And if you ask anyone whose marriage has kind of been on the rocks or in the ditch, if they could go back in time, they would say, I wish that we had people that were fighting for our marriage with us. You need people like that in your life. You need the people that look at you and say, Dustin, you are being stupid and you can do better. I have those people in my life. 
I'm complaining about some stuff. And, um, man, you know how hard it is to live with, with Ashley. And it's just, and they're like, hey, man, listen, you can do better. Like, th- stop complaining about everything else in your life and look at you like you can do better. I'm like, hey, man, like, you know I can fire you, right? I'm the lead pastor. You probably shouldn't tell me that. They don't care, right? Because those are the type of people that you need in your life. People that are going to say, hey, you can do better. People that are going to fight for your marriage. People who aren't just going to tell you what you want to hear. They're going to tell you what you need to hear. Because when I'm complaining, what I want to hear is, man, you're exactly right. I know you're a great dude. You're a great husband. And it's all her fault. That's what I want to hear. But what they tell me is, yes, she's probably doing most of the stuff right. And you just, you got to do some work. And then I go home and I get a text, right? And they're like, hey, did you do better? Like, just leave me alone, man. I'm trying my hardest. You need people like that fighting for your marriage because when the first time that we see Satan enter the picture in Scripture is after Adam and Eve are married. And then he attacks that relationship. You have someone fighting against your marriage. And it's the statistics are, are, are very clear that 50% of marriages right now in America are ending in divorce. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but it all goes back to there's an enemy fighting against you. Who is fighting for your marriage? Because you need those people in your life. And that's why we push groups here so much because in, in a group setting is where we build those relationships where people get the permission and the authority to speak truth into your life and to speak truth into your marriage. And you need those people, man. I need those people in my life, and you need those people in your life. It seems that we're really focused heavily on the wedding day. How many of you remember your wedding day? Guys, raise your hand, man. Even if you don't, just raise it. Like, okay. So the the average average wedding cost in the state of Georgia. This is back in twenty nineteen, but in twenty nineteen was about twenty seven thousand dollars. Now, let me just say this. My wedding cost about two thousand back in the day, but I'm very cheap. Right? So, but there's some really fancy weddings out there. Like, there's there's weddings where just you can't even imagine all the stuff that's going on. There's there's like orchestras and um, boys to men. There's like everything going on at these weddings. And there's there's one big cake over here, and then there's a little cake here and a little cake here, and then all the 60 guys have a cake. And it's just, there's a lot going on. And the, the woman is planning this thing, and there's a lot of time, and there's a lot of energy, and maybe you're sitting there, man, and you're like, well, I helped plan. You didn't. You just, you obeyed, which is really good for you. You need to do that. But this wedding, man, they, we focus on this, and it's over just like that. And I tell people that in premarital counseling. So if you're not married in this room, and you want me to do your wedding, I'm going to tell you, that you shouldn't spend so much time and energy and money on your wedding. I'm going to tell you that. I'm going to be very honest about that. I'm going to try to talk you out of getting married. I'm just going to be honest about that too. 
because I believe that if God is ordaining it, then I can't talk you out of it. Right? But these weddings, man, they're elaborate. I've done some really fancy weddings where I had to buy like a suit and actually wear I, Do y'all know what a suit is? Like I had to wear that um, at a wedding, like with a tie and stuff like that. And I'm like, man, this is, I'm not doing weddings like this anymore. If they're not outside and I can't wear jeans, I'm out. Like we'll get some, Pastor Andrew will do the wedding. Like he, he's got suits he can wear. I don't have those. So the last wedding I did, I had to buy a suit. Um, very disappointed in that. But there's some really fancy weddings, and then there's some weddings that aren't so fancy, right? My wedding wasn't very fancy. And this is, this is the truth. We put all this time, all this energy, all this effort into the wedding day, and then we put none of that time, none of that energy, none of that effort into the marriage. And I'm going to tell you one more truth. That your wedding day has zero impact on your marriage. It doesn't matter how fancy your wedding is, it doesn't impact your marriage. It doesn't matter how basic your wedding is, it doesn't impact your marriage. And I, I'll tell you how I know that, because my, my wedding day, although the best day of my life, praise God, somebody say amen, all right, best day of my life, it wasn't a fancy wedding. The night before, we were at rehearsal. My granddad did the wedding, and obviously I wore a tux. The guys wore tuxes. The girls wore whatever they wore. I think their dresses were yellow. Um, y'all picked some crazy colors for y'all's girls to wear. I think it's because it highlights y'all more. It's like, yeah, look how funny they look, but look how beautiful I am. So at the rehearsal, my granddad comes out in like this big black robe and I'm like what is happening right now and if y'all know my wife y'all know that she's looking at me like what is he wearing he is not wearing that at the wedding and I'm like hey he's old man like let's just he's he's done this a lot so we're going through the rehearsal and at the end where I'm supposed to be able to kiss my wife right and he doesn't say that part. And I'm like, okay, so I think he just forgot. So I reminded him, like, hey, at the end, I need you to tell me I can kiss her. Because that's important. Like, I want to do that. Um, and he's like, oh, yes, we'll do that. So we get to the wedding. Everything's great for me, right? Ashley doesn't even want to be having this wedding day. So I didn't listen. So I'm just throwing that out there. I didn't obey. She just wanted to go to the courthouse. Let's just get some things down. We don't want a wedding. And I'm like, no, you'll regret this. We're about to be 12 years in. She does not regret. She would not have regretted it, right? So we're there Saturday, and I'm just like, man, I don't know if I need to do this. And, and my dad's like, are you sure you want to do this? And I'm like, I'm not sure I want to do this, but we're here, and we're not backing out now. Praise God, this is a divine appointment, and we're going to follow through with this. So we go through the ceremony. We cut one of the songs short just because we don't want to be up there like in front of all these people for long. We're having a reception over in the fellowship hall of this church, and there's all finger foods, man, because we were broke. So it wasn't fancy at all. And we get to the end, and I'm like, man, he's going to forget. So we get to the end, and he never tells me to kiss Ashley. So I just kissed her anyway because I'm just, I'm just doing it. 
and then we go to the reception, and things are okay, but it just wasn't, it wasn't what she had dreamed of, right, because she dreamed of no wedding, so it wasn't what she had dreamed of, and I don't even know what I had dreamed of, but it was probably wedding night, not wedding day, and it's just, th- things are just happening, and it just wasn't, it wasn't a bad day, it just, there was nothing fantastic about the wedding. But here's the truth, it had no impact whatsoever on our marriage. The wedding day, no matter how special it is or no matter how boring it is, it just has no impact on the marriage. But we spend so much time and energy on this one day. And we spend no time and energy on the marriage. Man, this wedding takes 30 minutes. The marriage is for a lifetime. So we've got we've got our priorities out of what? And God is pro-wedding. I'm not saying that He doesn't want you to have a wedding. In fact, Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it was. They ran out of wine. His mom's like, oh, I know somebody that can fix that. So she goes to Jesus and says, hey, we ran out of wine. I need you to do something. And He's like, woman, why are you coming to me? I would not recommend you saying that to your mama. But he can do whatever he wants. He's Jesus. And she's like, hey, to the servants, do whatever he says. And Jesus takes this dirty water and he turns it into wine. So for all the Baptists in the room, you're going to have to get over that. The Bible says that Jesus turned it into wine. He's pro-wedding, man. There's nothing wrong with having a wedding. The problem is that the wedding can't be the end-all of the marriage. It really has nothing to do with the marriage. And number three is this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. But marriage is a covenant, not a contract. And what we tend to do is we tend to to have this transactional type relationship with our spouse. And we say, and we're really good at this, we say, as long as you do this, then I'll do this. And that is a contractual type relationship and it's not what God has intended for marriage. Now a covenant says no matter what I do. No matter what you do, I'm all in. I'm going to do my part of this no matter what you do. This isn't transactional and I think what happens is on the wedding day we go in thanking covenant but we walk out thanking contract. We walk in thinking, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything I can for you, but we walk out of this wedding saying, well, as long as you do this, then I'll do this. And human nature, our tendency is to live life in that manner. It's to say, as long as you hold up your end of the contract, I will hold up my end of the contract. And marriage, biblically, is, man, no matter what, I'm going to... I'm going to hold up my end. I am all in to this. And I get this question, man, and I want to touch on this very briefly, but I get this question, well, what if, what if there's, there's adultery? What if there's abuse? And these are circumstances that we talked about last year in our Sermon on the Mount series where, where God allows for divorce in those instances. So, I don't want to, to say that no matter what, you have to stay. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we are all in 
in our marriage. Now, when they began to abuse sexually, physically, emotionally, if they began to cheat and, that, and there's just no reconciliation, then I understand that. And God actually allows for divorce in those situations. But that's always the last resort for us, not our first response. Our first response is the covenant relationship that we have with our so what leaves in a contract type relationship is the love, the intimacy, the transparency, the gratitude. All of that begins to run out of the door when our relationship is based on if you, then I. Because we can't love someone the way that God has called us to love someone if we're always just having these expectations for them or we're not going to do our part in the marriage. And marriage is not a 50-50 relationship. Marriage is 100-100 relationship with two people coming together as one. And in God's economy, one plus one equals one in the context of marriage. We become unified together under the authority of God. See, a contract, the goal is to win. and a covenant, the goal is to worship. And we worship God through our covenantal relationship with our spouse. So here's my question for you. Where in your relationship are you living out a contractual type relationship? Where are you saying as long as she does this, then I will do this? Or as long as he can do this, then I will do this? Where is that coming up in your relationship? Because that will drive the intimacy, the love, the gratitude right out of your marriage. If you want to have a godly marriage, then you have to get rid of the contractual mindset of relationship. And people say, well, we have some marriage problems. So because of these marriage problems, then, you know, I got to set these kind of contractual boundaries in my marriage, and I would say this, that I, there's not a whole lot of marriage problems. There's a lot of gospel problems. Not a whole lot of marriage problems. Marriage problem is which way does the toilet paper go on the roll? That's a marriage problem. And I'm going to help you out. It goes over the top, right, in the front. It doesn't go under. So just, y'all write that down. That's point number four. Most of the problems we experience in our marriage are gospel problems. It's not marriage problems. It's because we have somehow turned our relationship into some contract with our spouse when God says, hey, so I showed you what it looked like to create a covenant by sending Jesus to die for you. It wasn't a contract. He didn't say, hey, when you get yourself cleaned up, I'll send Jesus to rescue you. No, He said, hey, I'm going to send Jesus on a rescue mission to pay it all for you. It's not a contract. It's a new covenant that He created. And because of that covenant, we know how we should live in covenant with our spouse. It's unconditional. It's love no matter what they do. It's actually loving me even when I don't do the dishes like I'm supposed to. Amen. All right. It's me loving Ashley no matter what she does. It's me supporting. It's her supporting. That's what a covenant 
is. It's not, hey, as long as you do this, then I will do this. That is not a biblical type relationship. But here's the truth. We all tend to go that direction in our relationship. We all tend to go that direction. In a contract, there's always a winner and a loser. And you don't want to be the winner. Do you know why? Because then you're married to a loser. And you don't want to do that. You wake up every day and you're like, I'm the winner, but I'm waking up next to a loser every day. We don't want that in a relationship. Regardless of the response of your spouse, a covenant says, I will go first. I will love first. I will serve first. I will always go first. It's putting the interest of your spouse above your own selfish That's what a covenant relationship looks like. I'm going to give some examples, just some some women examples and some men examples really quick, but some really godly women, there's there's two things that I hear about when they have issues with their husband. When the, the first one is always money. If he just made more money, I need him to make more money. If he If he had more money, then I could do this. If he had more money then I could do this and what happens is there's a continuum right of of gratitude and entitlement and the closer we get to entitlement like we deserve this or we should have this the farther away we get from gratitude another thing is women say well he's just not the spiritual leader of my home and I want to clear this up nowhere in scripture do we find that the man is supposed to be quote-unquote the spiritual leader. No, the Bible says that the man is the head, which means that he should be leader over all aspects, and spiritual just falls underneath that. But what we've done as a church, because these words are just being the head and leader and submission, those aren't good words in church, right? They created just a soft landing spot to say, hey, well, the man is the spiritual leader of the home. No, man, I'm looking at you right now. You are the head. According to Ephesians 5, you are the head of your family. That means that you lead. It doesn't mean that you take over. It doesn't mean that you dictate. It means that you lead your home well. And spiritual leadership does fall underneath that. And women, they just they they want you, they want you to lead, and they really want you to lead spiritually. So I'm going to give you something that you can do. You take your wife's hand, and maybe you're not a hand holder, and I get it, man, right? Like when me and Ashley were dating, she she was a big time hand holder, and I was like, hey, so here's 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 how I feel about that. I think we should only hold hands on special occasions so that it's more special when we hold hands. And she did not buy that whatsoever. So now, again, we celebrate in a month, right? A month from today, we celebrate 12 years. And now we've kind of switched because now I'm all about the affection and holding hands. And she's like, no, you've conditioned me. We are not holding hands unless it's a special Occasion. So be careful what you say, guys, because it will come back on you. Grab her hand. 
and say, hey, how can I pray for you? And she's going to say some words. Listen to the words that she says. And it's not hard. You say, dear God, and you repeat the words that she just said to you. Now, he's not going to get it right. Don't say, I didn't say that. Like, just let it go, right? When you look up, she's going to be crying. Just accept it. And then, the next day, this is for you, ladies. The next day, I want you to go to him, and I'm giving you permission to do this. Even if it's not true, so I'm blessing you. You have permission to do this. That you go to him and you say, hey, I, I know that you were praying for me last night because I felt those prayers. And he's going to step up and be like, you know what? I did do that. And then just kiss him. And this is why you kiss him. Because he will repeat what is rewarded. Right? Like a puppy. You kiss him, he's going to repeat it. And then he's just taking a step of spiritual leadership for you. He's going to ask you again one day, hey, so how can I pray for you this time? Because I really like the kiss I got the other day. So, man, it's not hard to do this. We just have to start doing it. So for women, it's usually money. If he could do this, then I would do this. If he made more money, I could be like this. Or if he just led better spiritually, then I would do this. And I just want you to, to allow him to lead you. Allow him. Invite him to lead. And for men, there's three things. There's three expectations of men that usually aren't met. Number one, sex. Yeah, that's it. So there's just one. There's just one. But here's, here's the truth. When, when you put a ring on her finger, it does not make her a sanctified prostitute. She does not have to jump every time you say jump. That is not how a covenant relationship works. The contractual relationship says, hey, because I put a ring on your finger, then you owe me this. You ought to do this. And man, ought to is the worst thing that you can have in a marriage. There is no ought to. There's a, hey, I want to do this. I desire to do this. I want to serve you. I want to love you. And I've heard some, some women say that men are like counting down the days, right? So, all right, so it was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's almost time like for us to be intimate again. It's like fantasy football. It's like you are now on the clock. It's like, come on, man, That's we can't do that. We can't put her on a clock. And I'm not saying I got it perfect, man, because if you talk to Ashley, I'm sure she feels like she's on the clock sometimes. And I'm like, hey, babe, you're on the clock. Like, let's go. The truth is this, and we're going to close here, but we all have expectations. We all have some, some expectations that aren't met. This is what I would encourage you to do with those expectations. First of all, there's some that we have put on our spouse that are, are hurtful and painful, and we need to confess and repent of those expectations. Because they weren't designed to meet those expectations. See, what happens is we want to be, we want to be fully and finally satisfied 
So we put on our spouse the expectation to fully and finally satisfy us when they weren't designed to do that. Only God can fully and finally satisfy you as a person. Not your spouse. They can't do that. They weren't designed to do that. God has to be the number one in your life. Everything has to be centered around Him. And then I would say, share your hopes and your desires that they can do something about. Right? So Ashley always thought she was going to marry someone over six foot tall with really good muscles and a lot of hair. Here I am. Under six foot tall, not a lot of muscles, and no hair. So I can't meet, if that's an expectation she has, I can't meet it. So if I sit down with her and she says, hey, so here, here's my desire. Here's my biggest hope. I want to be married to an NFL football player. I'm like, whoa, now. Like, I can't do anything about that. I'm too old, fat, short, out of shape to even go try out for any football team, right? So when we share these hopes and expectations, share the ones that your spouse can actually do something about but communicate talk about it say hey so here are some hopes and expectations that i have brought into this relationship and maybe for some of you you've been married three years five years ten years twenty years whatever it is and you've never had this honest conversation with your spouse and it's never too late to have it but what are some of those hopes and expectations that aren't being met that you have talk about those with one another. Peter says this. He says, when you have expectations that aren't met, this is what you do. You clothe yourself in humility and you cast all your desires upon Him because He cares for you. When we have desires that just go unmet, Peter says, hey, clothe yourself in humility. Meaning, make them a bigger priority than Look at, their, look at their paper. See what their hopes are. See what their dreams are. See how you can fulfill them in, in this relationship. Stop worrying about what you can get. And your heart and your focus should be on what you can do for them. Go first. Love first. Serve first. Put them first. And then he says, and then all these desires that you have, cast. Cast them on him. Why? Because He cares for you. Because He cares about you more than anybody ever will. And you could do it, right? You could say, God, I'm really frustrated right now because these hopes that I have, they're just, they're not being met. These desires I have, but, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to cast them all on you. The problem is, we try to, we try to cast it out and then we want to reel it back in. They didn't have that back when this was written. It was just a, you cast it out. They ain't, you ain't reeling it back in. When we cast those desires upon Him, let's throw them to Him and just lay them at the feet of Jesus. And allow Him who cares for us more than anybody else take care of the unmet desires and unmet expectations in our life. This is what we need. We need a realignment. Some of us, just we just need to be realigned. It's just like your car, right? And you're driving your car, and there's bumps everywhere. There's potholes everywhere. 
and you could just be driving, and after a little bit of time, man, you're going to need a realignment. It's the same thing in our marriage. We just need a realignment. Proverbs 5, 18 and 19 says this, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love. Praise God. Man, be delighted in the wife of your youth. This is what I would do. I would hold your wife's hand. I'm, I'm talking to you, man, because you have to step up and lead. We have to do that. If we want to see families transformed, we have to be the godly men that God has called us to be. If we want to see communities transformed, it starts with families being transformed. I would take her hand and I would think back to the vows that you made. That you would love them. That you would protect them. That you would provide for them. Through everything. Through a lot of money, through no money. Through really good health, through really bad health. Till death do you part. Remember that. And then think about the cross. Think about Jesus pushing up on His nail-pierced feet and saying, hey, man, it is finished. I've paid it all for you. I've paid it all for you. And whether you believe this or not, I want you to know that it counted for you. That no matter what you've done in your life, no matter where you are right now in this moment, that it counted for you. And because of that covenant that He made, the, the pouring out, the shedding of His blood for our sinfulness, because He showed us what it looked like, because we've experienced that as Christ followers, if we've decided to follow Jesus then we know how to live in a covenant relationship with our spouse. And my challenge for us is that we begin to do so. If you can this morning, let's stand together as we get ready to respond. There's some people in this room that just need to confess and repent. Confess of the unrealistic expectations that you've placed on your, on your spouse. Of the, of the contractual type relationship that you've been living. For some of you, you've never said yes to Jesus. You know you're a sinner. You know that He has done everything necessary for your salvation. But you've never made the decision to say, yes, I need and I want a relationship with Jesus. And in this place, you can make that decision this morning. And just for you, I'm talking to you that you haven't said yes to Jesus yet. We've been praying for you. We've been praying that you would say yes to Jesus. Because we know how transforming it is. We're following after the Savior of the world. And I'm not asking you to clean yourself up. He's going to meet you right where you are. 
and he'll do the cleaning. He'll do the, sh the sharpening. He'll do the molding. And you'll have a group of people around you that will help you take those steps. So don't think that you have to get everything right. But, man, I just I feel like you are in this room today, whoever you are, that we've been praying for you. So let this be the day that you finally say yes. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.